Hello, welcome to Raw Japan episode 68. This is Brandon Chin, broadcasting from Itoshima, Fukuoka. Today we're going to speak about being black in Japan. So, if you did not know, I'm black. My parents both are Jamaican, and my father is half Chinese. His parents were both Jamaican born, both half Chinese. So, I ended up being quarter. My mom is full black Jamaican.、Uh, in Jamaica, there's a lot of different ethnicities mixed Chinese Jamaicans, Indian Jamaicans, white Jamaicans. Their motto is out of many, one people. And most people are just seen as Jamaicans, regardless of their ethnic background.、Um, here in Japan,、uh, you stick out as a foreigner. So. Being black is obviously comes with its own,、um, let's say, circumstances, situation. But I think they're less pronounced than they are in the US, for example, where I was born and grew up. So here in Japan, you're mostly seen as a foreigner, regardless of what ethnicity or nationality you are. And that comes with it. That comes with its own、uh, disadvantages and perks. And in the US, as many people know,、uh, there's a lot of discrimination towards people of black skin and brown, brown, black and brown people. And、um, yeah, Asians as well. And but most, for the most part, Discrimination tends to be more intense towards black people. And as I've mentioned on previous podcasts before,、um, my black experience in the US was mostly through family、uh, Caribbean, of Caribbean descent. And I didn't really, I had a few black and brown friends through middle school and high school, but I think. University was when I really stepped into accepting my blackness.、Uh, whereas in middle school, I was just coming around to really embracing my being Jamaican.、Um, but I didn't, I don't think I fully, not accepted, but more embracing my.、Um, Blackness until university. And I think what I mean by that is that I didn't,、uh, I wasn't always calling out things that I, that were maybe questionable, like certain、uh, conversations with white people in middle school and high school.、Um, or I wasn't graceful enough to. To educate people that were ignorant of blackness until university. And that was partly because of my own ignorance. And like I said,、uh, my, own experience, my only experience was through family that were from Caribbean descent. And、uh, it's different than African American,、uh, the African American experience. Although, They're all from the African diaspora. It's still 
it's different, right? And uh, I think a large part of it has to do with pride or just a different sense of identity. Maybe the worldview of Caribbean people is uh, broader from the outset than African Americans, uh, partly because most, well, it depends where you grew up, but I feel like most Caribbean people often immigrate to other places and usually the U.S. And just that, on that, uh, just by that action, one's worldview has to really broaden and widen and because you're adapting to a new environment. Um, and maybe that's part of the reason why I didn't really connect with uh, African-American uh, or just black people who are born, born and raised in the U.S. Um, without any Caribbean descent. Uh, they were just brought, like their their ancestors were just brought directly from Africa, mostly from the Atlantic slave trade. But I think coming to Japan uh, during university also helped my step into fully embracing blackness and calling out. Uh, different situate like making holding people accountable holding myself accountable to my uh, heritage and also holding other people accountable to or educating people that are ignorant right and I think Asia is a general ignorance towards foreigners because it's not taught it's just not spoken about school or in social situations because first of all there's not many foreigners second of all there's not really any motivation to learn about uh, <coughs> the different nuances of these cultures and so in asia i feel like it's whenever there's a question or a slight against uh, black people or my blackness or whatever where I come from, I see it as more of an opportunity to educate and show people, okay, this is how it's done, especially with like hair. I think a lot of Asian people are fascinated with black people's hair because, um, well, it's, it's like rare and I think there's a lot of indoctrination when it comes to media. With the, uh, I think the first image of a black person is afro or locks and uh, often caricatures and things like that and so when they see black people's luscious hair they will they want to touch it and you know I act I do a lot it depends on the intention of the person I often I First, when I first came, I found it quite startling that people would just reach out and start try to touch your hair. And I guess, you know, in the U.S. you do encounter that at times, but I think people had more um, awareness of what that feels like and what that 
can come off as by trying to touch someone's hair and so I didn't really encounter it that much but in Asia people just like like they have to touch your hair and reach out and and I at first I was very startled and I would touch the other person's hair back I'm like how does that feel to you just if I just start rubbing your hair and then I just started if they would ask me when they asked me, I would say, okay, but only if you let me touch your hair. And they're like, no, 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 no. I want to touch your hair. I'm like, that's not how it goes. This is not a zoo. So I, I, we both touch each other's hair. I'm interested. I'm just as curious as you. I, it's either I touch your hair and no one touches anybody's head. And then some, actually some people would not, would opt out. And it was very interesting to me to see that. But, uh, you know, down the line, and there's kids as well that just never had the experience and they don't have the social grace to um, ask at times. But I use, like I said, I use it as an opportunity to educate. And sometimes I do let people touch my hair when they're gen, when they're authentically curious rather than trying to, um, I don't know, make a show or just make it seem like, like I said before, like they're in a zoo or something. And you can tell generally. But, um, uh, yeah, in the U.S., when that happens with white people, it's more often an act of, um, like, they're trying to seem more socially dominant or it just, it just comes off as discriminatory. Like, because... It's different when you live, because white people li have an experience of living alongside of um, black people and people of different ethnicities. And I think with that comes uh, certain, there's an awareness that's given. It's given, like it's, you should know. And so... The fact that you don't know shows uh, almost like forced ignorance. Or either you know and you are uh, faking ignorance and using it as a means to show your superiority, or you just don't care. You don't have boundaries, and that's a problem. And in Asia, too, you can, of course, you can classify, you know, people people's ignorance as this little classic lack of boundaries because some Asian people acknowledge that. They say, you'll see when their their colleagues reach out and they're like, what are you, what are you doing? That's not, prop that's not proper. That's a person. They can't just reach out and touch their head. And um, even when I call out people, you can see the, their colleagues around them like, whoa, whoa yeah, that's, what is that? It's a little, you're overstepping. So, even in collectivist societies where they have, where people have no experience of meeting black people, there's a, there's a general understanding that, okay, this is a human being. You can't just breach their boundaries and touch them. So in places like the U.S. where there's a lot of different ethnicities and people from different cultures mixed living together, um, there's a general understanding that cultural values are different. And so before you step into someone's space or overstep their boundaries, 
you have to acknowledge that, okay, they are different from me in how they may see the world because of their general background. And um, although, sure, we're all living under the same umbrella, maybe, yeah, maybe they, yeah, they're American just as I am, but there's different cultural values that are implied by uh, ethnicity. And I think if you acknowledge those, you're showing respect. If not, then you are, I think, purposefully. And if you don't know, it's better to not do anything. It's better to ask, right? It's better to ask. Anyway, like I said, in Japan, those those moments are more an opportunity to educate for me, but... When I was in the U.S. or in Europe, it actually didn't really happen that much. But in the U.S., I didn't. You, I still would use it as an opportunity to educate, but it comes from a different place, and I acknowledge that as well. And uh, yeah, so that's that's all I had to say about that. That's all I had to say about that. And and I'm black. And I'm black here in Japan, and I love it. Uh, I'm black. I love being black anywhere. It's just I don't have to fear my life here in the U.S. Although I won't. I'm probably not classically. I'm not stereotyped. Uh, I don't fit the classic stereotype in the U.S., but there's still a danger to being black in the U.S., a black male in the U.S., because people view you in a certain frame. And if you are <laughs> acting outside of that frame, you become even more suspicious. So I feel quite secure uh in owning my blackness now that I've left the US uh, and I have lived abroad for a while in Europe as well and um, it's quite interesting it's an interesting phenomenon but when I go back to the US as well I still I feel uh, that's where that's where I'm I'm very I'm very interested in where the transition happened for me because is it could maybe it's not even the fact that I left the U.S. or no no maybe it's not even the fact that I've been living in Asia but the fact that I uh, traveled that I've been traveling for a few years and that. During that time, you are transitioning from environment to environment with no real base except your own identity. And uh, maybe that's what really, because, yeah, in university, like I said, I would, that's when I first started stepping into owning my blackness and not just saying, oh, I'm Jamaican, dance hall. Let me rock the colors and my family. Like, 
family is one thing, right? You have your cousins, your aunties, and your uncles, and you go to the <laughs> the get-togethers and all the things. But um, it's it's different when you have social groups, right? When you're around friends and that's like I said started in university this is interesting this is an interesting episode because I'm I'm uh, more than just coming on to tell you about this one thing when you come to Japan uh, I am questioning myself in front of you so it's quite it's like a more of a the uh, self-discussion that you're witnessing but maybe the same could happen to you when you come here to travel to Japan I think that's the that's what I'm trying to get at with this spaced out episode is that like Traveling is one thing, right? Like you can go to different places and experience different things and meet new people. But I think it depends on the degree to which you reflect on yourself that really ma- that really makes the trip worth it. So some people, most people, like for let's take Jamaica for example, Jamaica heavily relies on the tourist industry to stay afloat. Uh, most people go to resorts and stay at the resorts. They don't leave because they don't well crime is bad in Jamaica and most people, you know, want to feel safe while they're traveling. Although some people do want the authentic experience so they go out, leave the resort and go to local spots and whatnot and they're fine. Um, but going to these resorts uh, it's not a bad thing in here. it's not inherently bad I've been to resorts and cruises and stuff when I was younger with my family I was fortunate enough to, to go but uh, you can see that it's 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 a bubble you're not really experiencing the country you're experiencing a uh, manufactured experience of the culture and I think travel is more than that I think travel is an opportunity to really shatter your perceptions of who you are and what it means to live the life you live in the place that you live and most people don't take that opportunity either because they are too scared or they are too distracted to even be aware of themselves and so they go they leave their home to become more distracted from the problems they face inside and i think when i came to japan when i was you know first 19 and then i came back multiple times during university in my early 20s, I, uh, I I was really digging uh, internally. I don't think I spoke about this on the podcast before, but I've wrote, written about it in, one of, in my first book, actually, which is called Know Thy Beast. And uh, it's like a nonfiction book. 
it's like a short guide. I wrote it for, I basically wrote it for myself because I was starting my novel, novelist career and I really wanted to keep myself on track by making a guide for creatives to uh, be able to basically control their behavior to create. So I mean, we get so distracted, not just because of the internet and all that, but we procrastinate because uh, making something worthwhile is hard, right? And it takes deep self-reflection, and that can get intense sometimes. And I'm, I wrote this book, and in this book I speak about uh, my shroom trip, uh, my first shroom trip back in sophomore year of university, I think 2010, and my roommate, a uh, friend I went to high school with, um, introduced me to shrooms, mushrooms. It was a normal trip. It was like, I think, 3.5 uh, grams, which is like a normal average trip on points and tea. Points and tea. This is a long podcast, this one. But it's important. And, um, you know, it was good. Uh, that's actually the first time I listened to my favorite band, The Knife, a Swedish duo that uh, maybe <laughs> maybe that's probably why they're still my favorite band today. I probably associate that unconsciously with that shroom trip that really opened my mind to what is possible. Anyway, that shroom trip pushed me to create a trip to Japan uh, through help from my family and uh, my persistence at bugging my family. So they supported me in going to Japan financially and emotionally. And I went there and uh, I went there. I came here. <laughs> the first place I went to was I landed in Hiroshima, but I went to Yufuin first, which is in Kyushu, in Oita, and it's an onsen town, and then I went to Hiroshima. I think that's how it was. Yeah, yeah, Yufuin, because that's where I learned to, to use chopsticks. And I remember people being so surprised that I, well, you don't know if it's even real or not, but I, Surprised at how, oh, one week he learned how to use chopsticks the correct way. And <laughs> they, you know, these people still say that, you know, it's so, it's so funny. Oh, you can use chopsticks. Anyway, shrooms was a part of my, was part of the reason I came to Japan in the first place. And shrooms or any psychedelic is a way to explore yourself mentally. Uh, and travel, I feel, is is a deeper way of exploring yourself and reflecting on who you are and what you want to do um, because you connect with people that have lived a different life and have different worldviews. But that connection never happens if you stay in the bubble. 
and uh, coming to Japan, I did my best to really bridge the gap from being black, Jamaican, Chinese, born in the U.S., and still trying to connect to a culture I felt so close to because of my experience doing karate for eight years back in Florida in the U.S. And um, I think it's quite valuable to own one's identity while also being open to bridging cultures and staying open-minded to new perspectives and I've managed to do that here in Japan and I'm quite grateful for my experiences although in the beginning of course like most people uh, and I was young too I'm still young 27 now but when I first came I was quite young and you try to become more you try to I think when you learn language you really try to uh, mimic and adapt the people that you are the behaviors of the people that speak that language and so it, I felt like at some point I was trying to become too Japanese and it wasn't working and I it felt quite uh, lonely because you understand that you're never going to be accepted as a native and in in trying to become like a native you end up losing who you were which is the foundation of your being and I learned that the, well, the hard way and it was quite uh, heavy and dark at that time but I feel that I was able to rebound and, and make about more balanced uh, experience where I and still pursuing native-like Japanese fluency, which you do have to adapt behaviors and uh, thoughts, patterns, or way, a way of thinking to to speak the language fluently like a native, but still acknowledging, embracing, and wholly understanding who I am um, ethnically, nationally, and, and you can say spiritually as well, uh, although that's always changing, but just not losing sight of who you are to try to adapt a new skill, and it's serving me quite well because I can, like I said, go to, in previous podcasts as well, I can go to different spaces without losing sense of who I am. And that's what I want to do. That's what I aim to do with this podcast, the Raw Japan community, and my Raw Japan guide uh, here in Itoshima, as well as um, my novels. It serves as a bridge to other cultures so that you can learn more about yourself and use that wisdom to change that wisdom that you gain through creating that bridge to change your experience and the experience of people around you and uh, I think that's I think 
I think that's why we're here. I think that's why we have this this opportunity to breathe and come here and listen to this podcast and do all the cool shit that we can do at this point in time is to connect and to share that experience to uh, do shit, fail, grow, um, regress, uh, stay the same, do, just to connect, man. To, and it might sound corny, whatever. That's what I think. That's what we're here to do. All the, all the, all the other stuff is just layers on top of that base. Um, and if you're not doing that, you're wasting your life. The end. Okay. Uh, it's it's almost thirty minutes. This is a long ass podcast. <laughs> You can tell how important I think it is. And I hope that you're able to do the same here in Japan when you visit to really explore yourself and just do what I just did. Like, it's not about having all the answers. Like, you have, I like to question myself and see where I'm at, right? And it can, it can be awkward, it can be stifling, you don't know what to say, you don't know what to do, but it's important to look at yourself and figure, not figure out, but question. I think asking the right questions is more important than having the answers. And that's why I write, that's why I'm here speaking to you, because questions, because questions. And I got a question for you. Um, are you coming to Japan? If you are coming to Japan, I recommend you do it the right way and jump on my Raw Japan guide experience, where I will give you, I will write a itinerary for you, hook you up with Japanese lessons with a teacher that I've taken, and write a book based on your story here in Japan and. To, figure out, to find out more about that, you can go to brandonchin.net backslash change, C-H-A-N-G-E, watch the video there, and book a call at the link. You'll see it on the page. There's, tw there's two different links. It's quite a messy page. I need to change it up. But um, you can see the book, book a call uh, for one of those, and I'm available uh, usually every day, 30 minutes. For each call and or if you're not coming to Japan you can experience Japanese culture everyday Japanese culture from your bedroom or your couch or wherever you are in your house right now maybe you're in your car I don't know you can read my novels about Japanese culture and big problems that I'm really interested in like environmental sustainability and recently comfort women uh, and you can also experience Japanese community. I'm sorry, a community based on Japanese culture, where you can connect with everyday Japanese people. Uh, we're going to be making some exclusive videos in there, answering questions you can't Google or find anywhere else online because why? They are from. They are the opinions of everyday Japanese people, 
not people that have had abroad, have experienced living abroad, uh, highly educated, etc. These are normal everyday people, and most of them are from the countryside, so it's quite straight up and authentic. And uh, yeah, just, you know, go to one of those links, check it out. BrandonChin.net backslash raw is for the books. And I'll, also, I'll be speaking about the community there. I'm also going to be popping the link for the community in the show notes. Go there and press join, sign up with Facebook, LinkedIn, or your email. Uh, there's nothing going on there right now, but from now on, we're going to be pumping it up with some content. And if you have, I don't know, just throw in your introduction. Say, hey, what's up? I heard your pod. I heard your long-ass podcast, episode 68, on November 16th at 11.31 p.m. And I thought, hey, that I would introduce myself. Hey, I'm blah, blah, blah. Uh, it, why do I feel drunk at night? You know, I haven't, I have not drank uh, for a year. I quit last year in September, over a year now, and I did it to focus on writing. It's funny when I say I quit drinking because most people automatically assume that I was an alcoholic before, and then they also say if when I mention writing, they're like, "Didn't you know all the greatest writers were alcoholics?" Anyway, um. Yes, I mean, it's so weird how the body works when your sleep is disturbed, your sleep pattern is disturbed. You feel drunk, I feel drunk. Um, yeah, go to one of those links that I mentioned, uh, and the one that is backslash raw, you can type in your email address, jump on my mailing list, and I send you all the info. Good night. Oh, yes, I'm in a size. Long enough. Uh, or maybe you like these long episodes. I don't know. <laughs> it's for you anyway. So let's decide. Let's decide. Do you like this? Do you like these longer formats? Not sure. Jump on my email list. Respond to one of those emails that I send. They're usually daily. Haven't sent one in a long time, but we'll be doing picking that up soon. Um. <laughs> you can leave some feedback on this on iTunes, uh, drop a review, tell me uh, what you like about the show, what you hate about the show, <laughs> what could change to make, make it better for you. I'm here to please your ears. Not really, actually. I'm here to make you question your life. and Or you can leave a one star or five stars. Just tell me an honest thing on the review section so that I can make this podcast serve you better. It's, this is enough. I think this is enough. You keep asking for more, but it's enough. You have to have limits, boundaries. And I'm going to respect my boundaries, so good night. Oh, yes, you